All right, good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we'll be today, and I want to thank you. I was telling our leaders yesterday in a meeting just how awesome it has been in 2021 to see of our rhythms, gather, go, give, and grow, how amazing it's been for God to use you to be generous people who give of their time, their talents, and their treasures. And it's, it's great, as Nate just mentioned, to see God doing that through you for the sake of much fruit, Lord willing. So we are in a series called The Good News Kingdom, walking through the Beatitudes, and we are almost done with the Sermon on the Mount, right? I'm something else, right? No, but this is a, a long sermon by Jesus on a hill. And today we come to what I have coined in the past the most scariest, the most fearful, the, the passage that gives me the most creeps. Okay, like it literally creeps me out every time I read this particular passage. And what we're going to be talking about today is true and false. How many of you are old like me and used to take true false quizzes? And when the teacher gave them to you, you're like, sweet, at least it's a 50-50. And it was even better when he read the question out loud, because then you just found the smartest person in the class and you figured out how many marks they made with their pen or pencil. And you just knew the first letter, three marks, false, two marks, true, right? I'm not the only one, come on, (laughs) right? And even going back to like grade school, we want to make this distinction and we want to know what is genuine, what is false, what is real, what is not, what is fake. And we all have this proclivity to find fake people and label them, they're not real, they're what? They're fake. And we like the people who are true, who are genuine, who are authentic. And this is not a new thing because as Jesus concludes his entire sermon, he is actually going to give a true-false test. He's going to actually give a test about what a true and a false prophet is and what a true and a false disciple, what they look like. And so we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23, and then we will pray. Jesus says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, and so by their fruit you will recognize them. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house 
on a rock. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, filled with what I believe just fearful and scary realities about just the human condition that we, in Adam, apart from you, find ourselves. And I pray that this morning that the Spirit of God would come, as Paul says, that he would bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, but also that we would examine ourselves and to see if we really find Jesus to be all that we say he is. So give us a morning where we are able to look at our own hearts, stop and recognize where we're at, and then to be able to find Jesus to be attractive. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, this morning, let's look at false prophets. False prophets. And the first thing I want us to look at this morning is be aware. They're sneaky. Okay? They are sneaky, these false prophets. It took me a second to find it in there, but you'll get it, okay? Like, they are deceptive. False prophets lead those who are in God's flock to abandon the narrow road for the broad road that leads to destruction. So Pastor Nate did a great job last week explaining the broad way and the, and the narrow way. And what false teachers do is they take people who are potentially on the narrow way and then lead them to the broad way. And the reason we are commanded to be on the lookout for false prophets is because they are often not recognizable. False prophets don't wear black tunics, and true prophets wear white tunics. That would have been nice. Like, if you're a false prophet, you just show up and you're black, and if you're like Jesus and John the Baptist, a true prophet, you wear white. But the irony is, is that they don't mask themselves. In fact, they often wear look like a true prophet. Jesus says they dress up and look like sheep. But inside, they are ferocious wolves. Uh, I learned a word this week. It's called rapacious. R-A-P-A-C-I-O-U-S, right? You don't care, but a rapacious wolf. What What is Jesus? Why is Jesus comparing a wolf to a false teacher? And what is Jesus getting at? Well, on the next slide, I have uh, the four other times this word ferocious is used in the Bible. And I just found this interesting as we were looking through, like, what is the imagery that Jesus is trying to make of these false prophets and comparing them to a certain type of wolf? In Luke 18, Jesus says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like those other people. Those Democrats and... No, those robbers and evildoers and adulterers are even like this tax collector. And I highlighted, I believe, the word robber. That is the word ferocious. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, as I wrote to my uh, previous letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the ferocious ones, the swindlers. In that case, if I told you not to interact with those people, you just have to leave the world. But I'm writing to you that you must not associate with one who claims to be a Christian, but lives in sexual immorality or greedy, or an idolater or a slandered, a drunkard or a ferocious wolf, a swindler. 
with people who claim to be followers of Jesus and live this way. These are the people that we don't interact with, and they are people who are swindlers, drunkards, idolaters, immoral. And Paul, in the next chapter, is the last time we come across this word. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So you see Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 very clearly identifying this word, swindler, with the kingdom of God. And this word, swindler, are the false prophets who are leading people away from entering the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus is using this idea of these false prophets, what is he making much of? He's making much of this. These false teachers are swindlers. These false teachers are extortioners. They are robbers. They are dressing up like false or true prophets, true teachers, to actually get gain from people. These false teachers, yes, they might have bad morality. Yes, they might have other issues. But the reason they're called false, I think, is because they are using people for their own benefits. Now, there's wolves, there's frauds, there are, this might shock you, there's Christian teachers out there who are cheating people out of their time and their possessions and their resources. They exploit the weak and the vulnerable to their own ends. So this false teacher is a wolf who is snatching up the sheep And he's drawing these disciples away from the kingdom of God and is actually using them for their own purposes. And we have loads and loads of examples of teachers who are swindlers and robbing people. I'm going to try very hard today not to name names, but just turn on the TV. And this will not be hard to find. People using the Bible for their own benefit. Which is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5 that if you're going to be an elder, you're not doing it for gain. I think I've said this before. Like, do you know that in every, basically every century from Jesus till now, religious people actually were really rich. The rich people in town. Okay, so... Like, that doesn't apply to us much today, because if you're going to be a pastor, you're just signing up to be broke. Does that make sense? Like, but the idea is, is that we're not doing it for gain. We're not doing it to cheat people for our own benefits. And if they're so sneaky, how do we know who they are? Well, Jesus says, number two, identify them by their life. Because fruit doesn't lie. Jesus then asked two questions to further illustrate his point. And his two questions are this. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Let's just start with question one. And the, same, the two questions make the same point. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Why would he even make that question? Because when you are, let's just say, 100 yards away from a bush... 
you might think that it is a grapevine, right? And so you want to go towards a grapevine. And then the closer you get, you realize, oh, wait, this isn't a grape. It's a raspberry. It's a blackberry. It's something that grows from a thorn bush. Or a fig from a thistle. From a distance, a fig tree and a thistle might look very similar. But upon closer inspection, you begin to see that what you thought it was is no longer true. So from a distance, a false teacher looks legit. But upon closer examination, we see that he really is an apostate. He looks like a grape, but he's a blackberry. So Jesus says, when you get close to them and you inspect their life, their fruits will show who they are. He uses a tree. Every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't do bad fruit, and a bad fruit can't do good. A good bad tree can't do good fruit. I got it confused because there's so many trees and fruits. But the idea is that a true tree, a healthy tree, will only produce healthy fruits. A bad tree cannot produce good fruits. The true prophets will have a life, have fruits that demonstrates that he is true. A false prophet, a false teaching upon closer inspection will reveal that he has a bad tree inside of him that is producing bad fruit. Now the problem is, is this is not always very easy to see, is it? Like, it's hard to inspect some of these, what we would call false teachers out there. You know why? Because all you do is get 45 minutes of a TV show on them. You don't get to inspect their life. You don't get to see where they go. You don't get to see where they spend their money, how they spend their time, how they treat people. And so we need to be careful about what we say about people. But here are some marks of a true prophet, a true teacher. First of all, I want you to know that a true prophet is not free from sin. So if a teacher falls into sin, does that make him a false teacher? No, this is not a rule of perfection. Just because a teacher, you know, might, I hate to say it to you, do you know that I'm a sinner? Like, I sin just as much, if not more than some of you, most of you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. You're with me? Okay, good. Like, like, and so the idea isn't just free from sin. A true prophet is not out for his own gain. He's not using his people, his audience, his platform to build up his own ego, to build up his own power, to build up his own bank accounts. Whereas a false prophet is definitely someone who is out to just build up a name for himself, a reputation to have power. True prophets are not seeking to be deceptive and tricky and sneaky. True prophets have a genuine love and care for the people that they are teaching. I think this is one of the main ways when it comes to teaching, that you know true and false, is do these people really care for you? Or are they just out for themselves? 
The whole point of this section is that Christians, disciples of Jesus, must be at all times watchful to ensure that their leaders are fulfilling their calling of maintaining sound doctrine and not using the platform they have for their own gain, for their own reputation. Too many Christian leaders have appeared throughout church history who have become false prophets for us to become complacent. Now, this is why this passage is so scary to me. Like, what am I doing? Do I love the people that I am teaching? Do I care for you? Am I out for my own gain? Am I doing this for my own reasons? And this week was a lot of examination of my own heart that we continue to pursue Jesus together and love him. And, and from the bottom of my heart, like I'm not perfect. Do you know that? I'm far from perfect. But I want Jesus Christ to be formed in us. That passage that Paul says, until Christ be formed in you, yes, individually, he wants every individual Christian in Galatia to be conformed to the image of Jesus. But you know what he wants more? Is the entire church body to be formed into the image of Jesus. I want Redemption Church to be formed into Jesus. And you take your part in the body, and someone else takes their part in the body. And so now together, we are the body of Jesus. Not every one of us has to do everything. Not every one of us has all the gifts. So to have Jesus fully formed in you means you must have all the gifts. And guess what? That's not you. So the idea of being formed into the image of Jesus is this communal sense. And I can promise you, from Nate's side and from our side, that our goal is not to lead you to be deceptive. It is actually to allow the Spirit of God to make Redemption Church become formed into the image of Jesus. And so keep us accountable. Asking, why are you doing this? Ask Nate why every time he comes up, he's asking and talking about money. Just kidding. But the idea is that we need you to keep us accountable, and we want you to know that that is our goal, that we would actually establish a true outpost for the kingdom of God in Chesapeake. Now, what do we do with all this? Here are some practical things. Number one, just recognize that there are false prophets in our day. Okay, let's just be honest. It'd be naive to think that we've reached a point in the progress of the history of Christianity that we have finally reached the kingdom of God on earth in America and there are no false teachers in the church. It'd be silly to say we're the first generation of Christians free from people using Jesus to promote their own gain. In fact, this has been a problem in the history of church. I have two passages on the screen for you from 1 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 4. But 1 Timothy 4, first, Paul says this. The spirits clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. There's four hours in that one verse. When did the last days, the later days, begin? When Tim LaHaye wrote Left Behind? No. When Jesus walked out of the grave... Paul considered himself to be in the last days. Paul considered himself to be in the time when people would abandon faith and they would follow deceiving spirits taught by who? Demons. 
demons. Like, we need to come back to uh, sorry, Philippians, where it says that our flesh, our struggle is not against these false teachers. These false teachers are being promoted and energized by demons. And such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared with a hot iron. And catch this. You don't read anymore if you have you are ruined my story, my question. What do you think they're asking these people to do? These false teachers. Oftentimes you would think they're like leading them into like this big sexual orgy or they're like causing them to kill people or murder and... Well, here's, interestingly, two things that these false teachers are going to command. Don't get married and don't eat certain foods. How many think those are commands from false teachers? Right? Like, yeah, just the idea is, like, false teaching can come from anywhere and be anything which is why we are called to be aware of what's going on. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the second passage, Paul says this, preach the word in church. I'm just going to give you a little hint here. Who is the word? Jesus. So this isn't just open your Bible and start preaching it. It's actually preach Jesus and be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Because a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and said to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to miss. See, number one, we're in the last days and there are false prophets among us. Why? Because there is demonic activity energizing and influencing teachers to lead people away from the kingdom of God. And we are in the last days, and so we should be aware that there are people who just want people to tell them what they want to hear. Be aware. They're out there. Number two, I would say this. Be careful not to label anyone who believes differently than us a a false prophet. Some of you can, like, sniff an Arminian within a mile. If you know what that means, you're blessed. But some of you have, like, theological antennae that are, like, on two million degrees, and they just There's someone in here that doesn't believe in the hypostatic union, and you're just, like, running around finding them. And, you know, your, your, your spiritual gift is you are the theological police for the church. And we just begin to call out anyone who believes differently than us a false teacher. Okay? Now, we need people like that in the church, right? Who are constantly being critical of, in a good way critiquing theology, making sure that what we're saying is absolutely true. But we need to also differentiate between what we would call first order, second order, and third order doctrines. There are churches, I passed, I thought of this this morning as I was coming down here. It was interesting just how many variety of churches I passed coming here. I passed a, a, an African Methodist Episcopal church. Then I passed this new life place. Then I 
past Wayside, which is, well, I'm not going to tell you what these churches are. And then I passed Fullness. Like, as I kept coming here, I was like, wow, there's all these different varieties of churches. And I could look at each one of them and say, this is why I think you're wrong. But at the end of the day, they're probably third-order doctrines. And so we want to be careful that we don't, just because someone doesn't believe the same thing we believe, we just cast them out and call them a false teacher. So, number one, be careful to recognize that there are false prophets. Number two, be careful not to label someone a false prophet just because they believe something different than you. Then number three, because you do not know the ending and are not the ultimate judge, consider what I would call a third category. Uh, on the next slide, I have uh, two circles, and it's, yes, different, but two circles. And I have up there false prophets and what we call orthodox. Orthodox means you're true and genuine. And so oftentimes, we just label people, you're this or you're that. Do you know why we like to do that? Because it's clean and easy, right? But potentially, there might be a third category that we want to be careful before calling someone a false prophet or even calling them orthodox. I think there's an open, and I just list what be some of the first order doctrines, by the way. Uh, the deity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, the virgin birth, the second coming, salvation by grace through faith alone. Like These would be like first order doctrines that we would die in a hill for. Okay, whether you're an Armenian and believe in free will or you're a Calvinist and believe in sovereignty and God's election, okay, that's second order. And it has ramifications for your personal and Christian life, but we don't have to call someone who's an Armenian who believes in free will a heretic. But the third category I would introduce is that overlap between the two. And this is just what I do. I call these people spiritually dangerous. There's a lot of spiritually dangerous people out there that I don't know them. I haven't inspected their fruit. I haven't been able to see what the outcome of what everything they're doing is. But I think there's this third category where there is lots of spiritually dangerous teachers out there. These are teachings who may not always be readily manifest as false but they can be very dangerous to your soul. They teach a mixture of Christ and self. They, they lead you to find a better you. They lead you to your best life now, hint, hint. Any teacher that minimizes your need for Jesus, any teacher that does not declare the excellency of Jesus over all things, any teacher who can give a sermon and not declare the absolute sufficiency of Jesus, any teacher who leads you to take your eyes off of Jesus, I'm calling spiritually dangerous. Did you catch what the key is? What's the key, church? Who? Say it again. What's the key? Jesus. Is Jesus being lifted up and elevated as the all-sufficient, glorious one who needs to fill you? Like, this to me is the mark of where a true teacher comes. Jesus isn't the add-on at the end of the sermon. He's not just like, come and get saved so you can have a better life. He's not just being used as an illustration to make your life better. 
No, he is the only way your life is better. He is your only solution. He is all that you need. Anyone who takes away and detracts from Jesus, I want to call is spiritually dangerous. And the reason why we do all this is because the most dangerous heresies are the one closest to the truth. It's pretty easy to reject outright crazy claims, correct? I think if any of us, so if I started calling up here and saying, you know, Jesus is not God, hopefully all of you would come up here, put me in handcuffs, and lead me to theological prison, right? Like, I hope you do that. Like, if I started declaring that Jesus is not coming back, hopefully you do the same thing, right? Like, there's some things that are just absolutely crazy, but those aren't the doctrines that are scariest. The scariest ones are the heresies, the teachings that are so close, but then are actually damning your own soul because... The reason they're damning is because these people are damned. What does Jesus say about these people? Look in Matthew chapter 7 again. Jesus says this about these false teachers. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown where? This is a picture of eternal separation from God, being cast away into a place called hell. Like, this is not like a, a, you know, a minor issue for Jesus. So Jesus, as he ends his sermon here, is calling us to be aware that we don't give into false prophets. But then, secondly, there's also, and this point's much quicker, false disciples. Look in verse 20, sorry, verse, yeah, 20... One. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus now is not just going to contrast true and false teachers, but now he's going to contrast people, everyone, disciples, followers of Jesus. And in this passage, I think there's three people. Well, we could identify three people in this passage. There are going to be people who never say, Lord, Lord. There are going to be people who say, Lord, Lord, and are sent away into judgments. And there's going to be people who are, Lord, Lord, who enter the kingdom. I think oftentimes what we want to differentiate is the broad way and the narrow way are the broad way or what? the bad guys, and the narrow way is what? The good guys. But as you continue to read through the the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus contrasting bad guys with good guys? No, he's actually contrasting good guys with good guys. The contrast here is people who say, Lord, Lord. We would look at everyone who says today, Jesus, Jesus, probably as a good guy. But what Jesus is actually contrasting are the spiritual, genuine followers of Jesus with the self-righteous leaders and Pharisees. 
And what Jesus is saying is that just because you claim to say, Lord, Lord, and you follow a bunch of commands and you do all these things, that doesn't guarantee anything. So Jesus, don't get this idea that Jesus is contrasting, you know, Democrats, Republicans, and he's, contra- he's contrasting all people who claim to follow Jesus. That's you in this room. And so Lord, Lord is not just the answer to entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So what's the difference between Lord, Lord, I'm sent away, and Lord, Lord, I enter into the eternal rest of the kingdom of God? Well, church, what does the Bible say? What's the difference between the person who's sent away and the person who gets entrance into the kingdom? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Exactly. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But notice a few things about the people who are sent away. On the last day at the judgment seat of Christ, they're going to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I went on a mission trip for you. I went to church every Sunday. I spoke in tongues. I cast out demons. I did all of these things. And I don't know if you caught this, but when I read it, in your name, in your name, in your name. In the name of Jesus, I cast out demons. In the name of Jesus, I did miracles. Like these aren't people who just, in a sense, come on Sunday and that's all they do and then leave. These are people who are genuinely in the church, who go along with the church and are doing the activities of the church and are involved in the church. And Jesus says to them, depart from me because I never knew you. You see why this is so, could be so scary? Like, how do I know that I am not the one who is going to be cast apart for all of eternity into a place called hell? The reality is there. And it should be very plain to you that just because you say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, Jesus, pray the prayer, sing the songs, listen to the sermon, go to missional community, does not demonstrate that you necessarily will not be one who Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because just like there's faults, Prophets, there are false disciples. There are people who don't really genuinely have a love and a commitment to Jesus, even though they say they do. And I think the issue comes down deeper than just what you've done in the name of Jesus. The question is, is do you find Jesus to be so satisfying that he is regularly your treasure? That's the difference. Just as false prophets do things in the name of Jesus for their own benefit and their own gain. This might surprise some of you. There's lots of Christians who do things in the name of Jesus for their own soul-satisfying, I did it. Now let me do whatever I want. To do it, to get a status. To do it, to to salve their conscience. But at the end of the day, the one who does the will of the Father... 
And we have been walking through what the will of the Father is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We are people who give up our lives, who pray, who give to the poor, who are regularly loving and serving and forgiving because we find Jesus to be so beautiful and attractive that we run to him. And when we run to him, we then live a life that is doing the will of the Father who is in heaven. False disciples on the next slide are people like Judas who pretended to be disciples and probably even acted like disciples but were never actually truly committed to him. They were committed to the power that Jesus represented, to the status that they thought Jesus could bring them. But they never allowed the will of God to control their actions. And this isn't just a Judas issue. In Acts chapter 8, I don't know if you remember Philip baptized an Ethiopian while he was coming up and well, he was in Samaria, Philip was, and the gospel now had gone to the next region, Samaria, and the Spirit of God was doing all kinds of crazy things up there, and there was a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer was a non-Christian who was a person who was just doing magic and built up this great, probably inspired by demons, and he had a great following. He heard about all these things the Spirit of God was doing. He went to disciples and said, and the Bible actually says, and he believed in Jesus, And then when the Spirit of God came upon the disciples, when Peter, James, and John went up to them, he told Peter, can I please have that power? And then he says, how much do I have to pay you to get that power? And what does Peter say? Depart from us, Simon. You do not understand what is going on. You want all the power. You see all the cool things, but it's all for your own benefits. You have a root of bitterness growing up within you, and so please just go. Like, this isn't just an issue for Judas. It happened in the early church, and it will happen today. And so the question I have for you on the last slide as we leave is which one will you hear on the next one? Will you hear, depart from me because I never knew you? Or will you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Father, help us be people who are committed to your Son by your Spirit, who continually are running back and seeing the beautiful, wonderful, all-satisfying treasure that Jesus is for us. And church, I want you to just take a moment and stop. We don't do this fairly often. But just take a moment and ask the Spirit of God to speak to you. Ask Him what He wants you to hear this morning. And I would encourage you not to just hear that, but maybe write it down. And I really want you to share it with someone this week. Share what the Spirit of God is actually showing you and teaching you. Bring someone else into the deep parts of your life. Someone who can pray with you, encourage you. And why we want to do that is so that we don't fall away. Encourage each other daily so that we will not be hardened by the nature of sin.